There, there, sir, there are some days I legitimately miss that job. <laughs> if they had freaking paid me better. What's up, everybody? Josiah Leroy here alongside Mr. Jeff Pavlak. What's up, Pavlak? What's going on, buddy? We just saw Pacific Rim Uprising. We've got some mixed thoughts on it. This is going to be the Pacific Rim spoiler cast. So if you have not seen the movie yet, bookmark this podcast and come back. But we are going to be talking about everything regarding the movie, its plot, and the cast, and just about every detail that you can imagine. So up front here, Pavlak, uh, we've got two kind of perspectives on this. I did not see the first one. Right. So there you go. The Geekiverse bringing you some new new blood. And um, I am the exact opposite. Pavlok saw <laughs> the, the first one in theaters in 2013. So we're, yep. geez, five years now. Just about five years. Oh, man. I would have guessed 2015, just off the top of my head. Yeah. But, I mean, that really slid under the rug. It was going to come out quicker, but there is some developmental hell for this sequel, so it took them longer. But it, it feels so weird to think that the original... Because I remember that day seeing it in theaters. It's, you know, it's burned in my brain. I can remember it like it was yesterday. It's so weird to think that was five years ago now. So what do we think? Eh. I'm in the same it, boat. Yeah, it, you know, I was such a huge fan of the original. Um, the Geekiverse's resident giant monster, kaiju giant mecha guy. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, when they did show that off, there were there were certain things I enjoyed about this. You know, I love some of the giant robot designs, the Jaegers. I like some of the fight sequences. Um, but as a whole, you know, if I had to sum it up in one statement, I feel like this was a sequel that played it too safe. I don't it think had, it should have happened at it, this point. It had some ideas where it could have really went off in its own direction and really expanded this world that the original established, and it instead just tried to be too cautious. And I, you know, it, it felt like at times it was trying too hard to entertain fans of the original, whereas at other times it felt like it kind of disrespected the original and um, was trying to draw in viewers who maybe weren't at, uh, as entertained by the original. But we'll get into that in a few minutes as we delve more into this. Yeah, I guess my thought is it was. I'm glad I saw it. I, I think it's definitely worth seeing. I, you know, I, I don't feel like, oh crap, I want my thirteen dollars back. But, um, yeah, this wasn't a Transformers movie. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, there were some really good action sequences. I thought some of the cinematography was really, really good looking. Um, depending on where they were in the environment, um, I thought the cast was okay overall. Um, not, nothing crazy. Uh, certainly some big names. Um, the utilization of some of the staff and the characters we'll get into in, in a moment mm-hmm. here, too, which I thought was a little bit weird. Um, obviously, without Guillermo del Toro uh, having his hand on this one so much, much different product from what we saw at the first one. Oh, yeah. It's it's night and day. Um, no disrespect to Stephen DeKnight, who directed this. And Stephen DeKnight knows his stuff. He um, was a showrunner for... Uh, Daredevil at one point with Netflix, he basically created all of the Spartacus TV series, which I've seen bits and pieces of, but I know is very well regarded, critically acclaimed, fans love it. So he knows his stuff, but this is his, um, I believe this is his first time working with film altogether and definitely his first time directing it. So this is a little bit different world for him to jump into. And, you know, look, Guillermo del Toro is one of the very, very best in the business. Um, very few, if any, compared to him. So 
anyone's going to kind of be a step down from his handiwork. I think there were, like I mentioned before, certain aspects uh, that I liked, but nothing that was overly redeeming. Um, and kind of something we're trying this year, at least stemming from my brain at the Geekiverse, is a movie of the year watch. Uh, so I, I want to keep almost like a running tally as a as a group of our official scores and what we've done for the reviews and what we think of them as, as a staff. Um, I think so far it, it's probably not a question that Black Panther is the best movie uh, for me this year. Yeah. So far. I can and agree. I, I don't agree with that. Just a handful of movies, but uh, Tomb Raider would be my second one, which okay. came out last week. And this, this one is, is whatever. Um, yeah. it, I liked it better than a wrinkle in time for what it's worth. Okay. Uh, but that being said, there was, uh, I thought a good pace overall. I didn't really feel like, I guess a, a good sign of a movie is if it feels like it, it kind of went by fast. I wouldn't say this went by fast, but it wasn't to the point where I was like, okay, come on, let's get to the final act here. Right, right. Uh, so that moved along kind of nicely. Um, you kind of chronicled a little bit uh, or touched on some of the facts, how it changed from the style and feel of the first film. Oh, for sure. So, You've probably got a, a, a mini list of yeah <laughs> some aspects there that you want to chat about. I, I would say the first big thing is that um, fight sequences in this one are very different compared to the original. The original is a longer movie, um, hour 32 minutes. This was only at uh, hour 11. Sorry, 111 minutes, whereas the uh, original was 132 minutes. Um, so 20 minutes shorter. And when you watch the original, the first half especially is kind of slow because there's not a ton of action. Um, you know, these movies have uh, kind of a stigma in anything giant monster is just being these mindless rock'em sock'em robot kind of things. But when you watch the original, there's not a ton of action. Um, and especially the fight sequences are, they're very much built upon spots. And what I mean by that is you don't see the Jaegers and the Kaiju punch each other in the face, you know, 10 times in a row. It's not like a back and forth where they're landing multiple shots here and there. Um, and this one, Pacific Rim Uprising, the fights were very frantic. You see them going, th- you, you see the Jaegers being thrown through a building every couple seconds at times. They're, you know, cutting each other with their, their blades or hitting each other with the missiles multiple times. Whereas in the original, you maybe would only see the Jaeger punch the kaiju once or the kaiju lands one hit and topples the jaeger so like with this one it almost like it kind of blew its load if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it hits you with so much action so many big hits so many um big moments that they all just kind of blur together whereas the original had a much smaller set of you know wow impact moments but they stood out more they felt more emphatic because there were fewer of them and they emphasized them more I could see that there was a little deviation from the course, you know, few ebbs and flows. It was kind of like a almost a straight trajectory throughout. It very, you know, even in the quiet moments, it wasn't that quiet. And mm. in the action sequences, it wasn't over the top. Yeah, like this. I'll here. I, I I think I just came up with the perfect analogy. Okay. In the original, the fight sequences are like a lightsaber duel. <laughs> there's a little bit of back and forth, but there's not a lot of blows landed. And when that and when a blow is landed, it feels meaningful and it feels decisive. Sure. In this one, this felt kind of like maybe a martial arts movie where there's just, you know, fists flying left and right. People are getting hit and they don't, you know, they react to it, but it doesn't it, there's so many blows landed that they don't really feel meaningful quite as much. 
That's a good way to put it. How, sure. How's that for yeah, you? That's, hey, that's that's how I understand things. <laughs> like, you know, in the original, um, one of the most iconic shots is Gypsy Danger walking down the streets of a rainy Hong Kong, and they're dragging a tugboat behind them, and they smash one of the ke- uh, kaiju in the face with it. You, in this, that wouldn't have stood out because you would you would have seen, you know, five or ten tugboats being smashed yeah. in a kaiju's face. Whereas it only did that once in the original. And it, you know, it just stood out for that reason, I feel. There's something to be said for, I guess, kind of, like you said, blowing your load on that. Yeah. You know, if you're you're doing everything early, what what's what's the the most fantastic thing that you can do? You can't. You've already outdone yourself. Exactly. So now uh, everything has to be amazing. And because of that, it's less amazing. Yep. So I, I hear you there totally. Um, I wrote down what your headline should be for this. What's that? It should be called Jaeger Bomb. Ah! <laughs> well, I, that's maybe a little too hard. I like it. It's very clever, very punny. Might be a little too harsh, especially because I'm not that big a fan of Jaeger bombs to begin with either. Yeah, me neither. That's, but it's just that's neither here nor how there. How can we pass that up? Okay, I did, that I is. I just keep it in the back I'll of keep, your mind. I'll keep, I'll, yeah, I'll mark it down. Mr. Pavlock is writing the official <laughs> review for us at thegeekiverse.com. Uh, you're going to see that later on, probably tonight by the time you're hearing this. But keep your eyes peeled right at our homepage to see that. Uh, so go down the cast list a little bit here. Yeah, see who we got. why not? Uh, you know, little, little known guy up here, uh, John Boy, 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 God, never heard of him. <laughs> John Boyega, uh, of course, I'm biased here as a Star Wars fan. Uh, this is the first movie I've seen him in, other than Force Awakens or Last Jedi. Um, I liked him. I yeah. thought he was fine. I think uh, he. F- it seemed like, if you've seen like off, off-air interviews, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff with him, uh, goofing around on set, that's what he seemed like in this movie a little bit. Like he was really not acting. Like we always talk about the Marvel guys yeah. and gals, they're not like acting. Like those are. Some just, yeah. iterations of themselves. It's a natural extension of yeah, like Robert Downey Jr. Right? Like, oh yeah, he's he, he's Tony Stark. He is in in a, in a much less iconic way. I thought uh, John Boyega did a good job with this character. That he he was fun. I actually thought that that was a really really nice motivational speech uh, towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I you know usually you'll see those come across in these action movies and they're not super exciting and they're they're obviously like over scripted and this one was like all right like he's got me like going i'm like yeah like, absolutely i want to go save the world so i thought he did a nice job with that some of the humor was hit or miss and didn't land and that probably could have been tightened up with the direction of the movie but you know that being said it didn't really detract from me so i i like his personality and i'm, I'm definitely a john boyega fan no me too he held up this movie and he held up his leading role in this for sure um i have no issue with his acting i thought it was very good in this i like i liked his character's personality um and i kind of like some of his background i do feel like he was very much shoehorned into this though um and you and i talked about this very shortly after we finished seeing the movie um since you have not seen the original, um, his father is Stacker Pentecost, played by Idris Elba in the in the original. Idris Elba dies toward the climax of the original. Um, however, in the original, he John Boyega's character, Jake Pentecost, not mentioned once. So he was very clearly um, created for the sequel after the original. Like right. he was made strictly for the sequel. He was never in the back of, you know, Guillermo del Toro's mind it seems. There he was, no was plan just for this. he was just exactly he was just kind of thrown into this. And it just seems so un it seems like a stretch to think that 
Pentecost son is not mentioned once in the original. Um, particularly because one of the huge themes in the original is Pentecost and um, Mako Mori, who is played by Rinko Kikuchi in this, their kind of father-daughter relationship. Um, like Jake mentions very briefly in Pacific Rim Uprising, she was orphaned by a kaiju attack when she was young and saved by Stacker Pentecost. And he adopted her as you know his, his daughter. And that's a, hu- that's a huge theme in the original movie, um, that father daughter you know parent child relationship so it just it just seems like such a stretch that you would ha- he would have this son this whole time but he the son would not you know be mentioned once it's just i don't know it's clearly uh, a sequel that changed course yeah it was sh- of times. Sh- like i said shoehorned in yeah it uh when those get to stuck and it, it's the same for movies or video games and they're in development hell it's yeah. usually a long battle back to being relevant. And speaking of Michael Mori, I told you on the way home that I had a major gripe with this movie early on. Her death really, really pissed me off. Yeah. So go I mean, go right I, to her next. I mean, she is one of the, I would say, you know, if three, if not two major characters of the original, because you had Charlie Hunnam's character, Raleigh Beckett, who another one, um, I, look, I know you couldn't get him to be in this movie. You couldn't sign him on whatever, but it just, it just seems so weird that the hero of the original movie doesn't even show up in this one for even a cameo, just gets one passing mention and that's it. But I just have such a huge gripe with the way they killed her off in this. She, she barely has any role in this whatsoever. She's a major character of the original, one of the heroes, um, had a great relationship with Raleigh Beckett, uh, Charlie Hunnam's character, Stacker Pentecost. And to see her used the way she was, it was, it was just a very woeful utilization of her. Rinko Kikuchi is a great actress. Uh, she's a great representation for Japanese actresses, especially English-speaking uh, Japanese actresses. And I, I, to have her in here for basically what felt like amounted to 10 minutes, barely a supporting role, she was just useless. I feel like it was so disrespectful to kill her off that way. In a lot of ways, it felt like when we saw um, Kingsman, Golden Circle. Yeah. When... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know who you mean. Uh, it'll, it'll come back to me. The, the yep. female agent, other yeah. than... Jeez, um, um, wow. Yeah. I'm changing gears here. But, yeah. When she got killed off so quickly and so abruptly in the Golden Circle. She should have... She could have hit her own movie at one point. Like, maybe... Roxy. Some, my bad. Roxy. Yeah. Okay, yes. You know, like, there were so many ways they could have gone with her. She could have been on a mission with Eggsy. It could have been, like, a thing where... And, you know, who knows? This yeah. is Hollywood, so maybe she somehow survived that crap, which would be stupid. But anyway, at this point, like, you know, she could have had her own Kingsman movie. Yeah. Um, her own plot, everything. And, yeah, I'm with you. It was it, just cheap. Because the problem is when you build up a character like that and, and they seem genuinely awesome or they're a fan favorite or any of the above, you're right. It does a disservice when they do that. It's, yeah. it's cheap. It's cheap writing. It, it, certain, you know... I would say all characters deserve a dignified death if you're going to kill them off. I don't like cheap deaths just for the sake of shock value. Um, uh, Walking Dead is, in my opinion, one of the biggest culprits of this. Just killing off a character with really no buildup or no meaning strictly to you know make you, try and make your viewers sad or to try right. and shoehorn emotion into the movie. Uh, or a story, whatever it might be. I, I strongly believe that a, a character, especially one built up um, like Mako Mori, if, they're, if you're going to kill her off, you got to do something a little more dignified than that. So really, in what we talked about with this not being a very uh, like tight sequel in the sense that it felt 
like you barely had Mako. Um, you know, Jake was not even a, a thought yeah. in the first one. They really could have just had this, I guess, separate itself and be a Pacific Rim movie, but they could have not had John Boyega play Jake Pentecost. Right. And they could have maybe not had Mako or just have her made a cameo or something instead right. and have it be like a separate, isolated thing. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because like, I think what they were going for was Pacific Rim 2, if you will, but this ended up being Pacific Rim Uprising, and they didn't really feel like they understood what the difference was. It's so, it's like, weird because, you know, in, in some cases, the movie is a super, super cautious sequel where it's afraid to take risks. Um I feel like the second half of that is the is the biggest offender in in that sense because the first half of the movie it suggests that you're the main enemies of the resistance the the people piloting the Jaegers are going to be these rogue Jaegers and these drones that are you know half Jaeger half kaiju um, seemingly run by some shady scientific organization and then the last half is just them fighting a bunch of um, you know, just vanilla kaiju like the original movie. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it completely forgets about all of the meaningful characters, or, or, you know, most of the meaningful characters from the original. And then it tries to throw in the cadets, which I didn't like that whole subplot, like the young kids. It felt like a really stupid version of Spy Kids. I, I didn't like that at all. Um, yeah, I can see that. It just felt like it really did. Yeah. It felt cheesy. It felt way too young. It, like, you know, it, you know, um, just kind of juvenile at times, really generic young adult um, teen uh, drama. It was weird how they they tried to blend those. Yeah, I think, it, you know the review is writing itself right now for you. Pretty much, yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, I'm with you. They didn't know what to do. No, it just it felt like they like I said, it felt like at times they were trying to capture an audience that maybe wasn't enthralled by the original. So, you know, they make the action more frantic and they throw in more, you know, younger characters. Um, They make it more mainstream where, like I said, you know, it's more frantic, younger characters, crazier action, more bombastic action. And that that's, you know, yeah, that's maybe why the original didn't make a billion dollars at the box office. But that's why it was uh, well received critically. That's why it did become such a fan favorite to the people who did see it. There are no shortcuts in trying to build a franchise. Yeah. That's what I think they're trying to do here. Clearly, they're trying to... Oh, yeah. there's a, They set up for a sequel, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll so, get to that. I mean, let's jump right into his character. So, so Charlie Day, like, I, I'll say this. I, I am not a Charlie Day fan. You know, I, I know I'm in the big minority on that. Not a sunny in Philadelphia fan? I am not. That's where <laughs> I was going next. I, I think that is a grossly overrated show. <gasps> But, hey, to each their own, and yeah. I know many, 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 many people who would slap me if they were right here right now for, for saying that. But, anyway, he is not a bad guy. Like, he is not a villain to me. And the way that they spun it around felt cheap again Yeah, wow. To me. Um, he was such a bright spot of the original. Um, he, you know, he was the primary source of the comic relief alongside um, Bern Gorman, who, uh, you know, was his uh, fellow scientist in the original and i mean just he brought so much levity so much genuine humor to the original and i uh, here's another one i hated the way he was using this yeah that's what i'm saying it was cheap yeah it's like he should not have been the villain no i mean he you know technically he wasn't a you know 
he wasn't a bad guy, like you said, because yeah, because he's you know the whole plot twist is he's controlled by the aliens, the precursors, um, which was just a a really stupid callback to the original because the precursors literally show up on screen for all of fifteen seconds, and you don't learn about them until the last twenty minutes or so of the original movie. So trying to tie back to that just seems like a useless effort. And I don't, I, I, you know, Charlie Day, he was such a fun character. He was uh, very goofy, um, a little stupid at times in the original, but he was innocent. He was honest. He was genuine. Um, to use him as this pseudo, you know, evil puppet just feels like such a waste of that character. It comes off as goofy yeah. to me. Because it wasn't good. He is the guy, like you said, and from what you're explaining or describing from the first movie, he is the 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 guy he's the comic relief he's the clone that's what he is and whatever he he appears on but he was still sincere he Correct. was goofy in the original but he was still very sincere he was very noble um, even heroic to an extent I got flashes feel, of that here yeah and I feel like they just wasted that by turning him into the puppet for the evil aliens the precursors it was just stupid yeah when early on in the film he felt like a Justin Hammer ripoff to me oh wow like, <laughs> I certain ways uh, that he would. R- walk and talk i was like oh my gosh he's like justin hammer yeah now like that scene where he walks into his apartment he's like honey i'm home and the thing that you assume to be his wife is actually the kaiju brain i love that like that's that's what he that's what he was in the original he's super obsessed with the kaiju a total kaiju fanboy basically me in real life um but like that's what he was in the character goofy but still kind of lovable kind of childlike um, and you know, like I said, they wasted. I feel like they wasted that character by turning him into the puppet for the the villains, the the precursors. Seriously, it felt it felt dumb to me. I, I was not into it. No bueno. Uh, who should have really, in my opinion, been the the primary villain? Jing Shan. Jing. Yeah, I, 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 I think we agreed on that. So Jing Shan. Forgive us for mispronouncing that if we are, uh, but Ms. Xiao, Liwen Xiao. Yeah. Um, she was like tailor made. She should have been. The, yep. She sh- and it like you said to me, it was a little bit predictable, but that's fine. Yeah, I don't need the to original be, was extremely predictable. I don't need to be shocked anytime I see a movie or oh my gosh, I didn't see that twist coming. I didn't need that. She was really good, and they think they should have pushed her because she seemed intimidating. Oh, very. I didn't even realize it, but anytime I saw her on screen, I was like, oh my gosh, like she's gonna kick somebody's ass, and I felt like she was gonna be throughout the movie the the heartless person that ends up screwing up yep. the world and charlie's uh charlie day care his character was going to kind of pull her back and yeah. be like we we shouldn't have done this kind of thing yeah and and that's not where it went at all so again another weird like twist with this yeah i i think she absolutely would have played the perfect heartless you know ambitious to a fault leader of the shadowy shady organization she should have been the one sending out the drones on purpose. She should have. She should have been the. Ma- she should have been the mastermind behind all this. They shouldn't have been fighting kaiju. They should have been fighting these hybrid um, Jaeger kaiju uh, drones out there and rogue Jaegers. That would have been so much better. And I mean, I, I will give her a lot of credit. You know, unfortunately, her character was not written the way I wanted to. But she's a very good actress. Um, yeah, she is. speaks English very well. Uh, English is her second language. She is Han ethnicity. Um, she is from China, but she speaks English very well for being a second language to her. Um, I, that maybe that's another one—a a, a great idea, great base, great actress, but a wasted character arc. 
it felt like there was a lot of potential here, and this is a common theme that we keep coming back yep. to. And it's not that it, the movie didn't go the way we wanted it to. It's that there were some obvious answers and obvious fixes that could have made this a much more quality film. Um, but you, uh, you mentioned also she was in Kong Skull Island. Yep, which, uh, she was San so Lin. She was one of the uh, monarch researchers. So that was, um, yeah, I, she's great. I, I wanted to see more of that original mm-hmm. trajectory, but unfortunately we didn't. One of the biggest absences from this was Ron Perlman's character, Hannibal Chow, who, uh, you know, if Charlie Day is not the highlight of the original, it's Hannibal Chow. Um, this <laughs> He was great in the original because he is this leader of the black market for kaiju parts, basically. So he sells kaiju parts like organs, blood, muscle, tissue, and all that on the black market. And he's gotten rich from it. And... He's kind of a bad guy, kind of not, um, but he's, he was just such a quirky original character that added a layer of world building to the original because with that, you know, his character really shows how affected the world was by the kaiju. The original showed a lot more than just robots punching monsters. They showed a world of how the world would be affected by multiple giant monsters coming in and trying to attack major cities. Naturally, you would have a segment of the population trying to uh, incentivize that, trying to make wealth off of that. And that was an aspect that you know really was forgotten about in this one. Another, uh, another failed attempt there, or missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Eastwood as Lambert. 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 <laughs> Lambert. He, uh, I think he looks more like Chris Evans than Clint Eastwood. <laughs> uh, I do see some of his dad in there. Sure, sure. He I, felt like he had, uh, like, if if Chris Evans needed, like, a body double, that's that's him right there. If he needed to come in. Uh, maybe. Felt that self-righteousness from time to time. <laughs> I liked, uh, I, you know, John Boyega does the bro thing very well. Like yeah. he does with Oscar Isaac and Star Wars. I thought they had a nice thing going on here because they never felt like they outright hated each other, but it was like a, a nice rivalry. I would have much preferred to see more of them as opposed to the cadets. Like if they had cut out all of the t- cadet scene and just focused more on John Boyega and Scott Eastwood's characters, I think that would have been a much better avenue for their character arcs. Me too. They should have gone all in on those guys. Um, he was good. I thought um, in terms of the, the cadets, You've got Kaylee Spaney, who played, oh my gosh, what is her name? Amara Namani. I was going to say, I didn't want to butcher that. She's so, a young actress, only 19. This was her first like full-length movie, from yep. what I understand. But she's done a few short films in kind of the research we've done here. She actually probably would have only been 18 when they filmed this. Yep. If, you know, if I'm doing the math right on these dates. I, I mean, she she, yeah. she she was fine. She played she, the role fine. Yeah, I just I didn't like the role. You totally ruined it for me now because I just see Spy Kids now. <laughs> yeah, I Alexa hey, Vega. <laughs> pretty much. Um, which I like those movies growing up, but y- hey, this y- is not that. Ega. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she she did a nice job again. I think a lot of the the cast here actually did a fine job. It was just more so the direction and the writing. Yeah, right? for sure. I think that's probably more of a, a gripe with us, but. With Kaylee, I like to. I'd like to see where she goes next. I think she could very well be an actress on the rise in Hollywood. I'd like to see her in more movies like this, or even you know some movies outside of this genre. So sign me up. I thought she was great. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Burn Gorman reprised his role for Herman this. Gottlieb. <laughs> um, like I said, him and Charlie Day were such a comedic duo in the original. So he he's been around. We were looking it up, and Pavlik are like, "Where where do we 
where do we know him from? Um, I I recognize him from Dark Knight Rises. He had a, kind of a small bit role in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been in Game of Thrones here and there. Um, and then he's got a long list of credits to his name. Man, the High Castle turn. Yeah, he's all over the place. Right. Uh, so I absolutely love the scene with him and Charlie Day in the elevator. That was a very good one. Laughed out loud at that one. <laughs> That was one of the better uh, humor points, I think. They needed more of that camaraderie between them, like they had in the original. They were hysterical in the original together. It's it's like uh, it's like the wrestling tag team when you break them up and they try and make the two guys go on to singles careers, and it just doesn't work it just out. Doesn't work. And what's funny is, like, obviously, like I said, I didn't see the first movie here, but I had no idea that those guys had really like a big history. Yeah, and that was a problem. They were a tag team in the original. That should have been the chemistry should have been a little more evident. No. More scenes like that elevator scene. Him that beating the really crap funny. out of that guy with his cane was great. That was really funny. <laughs> Just the the PDA that he didn't want to <laughs> profess was great. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, I think we're in the middle of the road on this. This is probably just a, a flat whelm on the whelmometer scale. If not underwhelmed, you know, there's they're just it's unfortunate because there's moments where it really does shine. Um, I love the uh, the Jaegers. In this one, maybe not so much their designs because they're a little bit generic. Um, like in the original, um, there was one called Cherno Alpha, which is from Russia, and basically its upper body is shaped like one of those nu- like those nuclear reactor funnels. Mm-hmm. So like that's really cool. There was one called Crimson Typhoon, which was piloted by um, a set of triplets. And it's got three arms, so they all work in tandem to control the three That's arms. Cool. So, like this, the Jaegers in Pacific Rim Uprising maybe didn't have that, you know, visual design, maybe that visual flair that I like from the original. But they fought so cool. Saber Athena wielding the two blades and then combining them into one, holding the stance like a like a samurai would. Um, the Wrecking Ball that I believe Breaker Phoenix was the name, which had spikes on it. And then the uh, just yes. some of the some of the uh, just the way they fought was so cool. Um, definitely more frantic than the original. Um, You're right; they felt a little generic. Um, so, Amaro was pointing these out though at one point early in the film, right? Like what, when yeah, uh, when she got to the base, she's like, "Oh my gosh, it's that exactly. one, that one." And that was kind of cool. Bracer Phoenix, my bad. That was the name of the one with the wrecking ball slash mace slash whatever you want to call that awesome oh. weapon. But like to see them used for literally one action sequence, where uh, and which eventually just results in them getting ripped apart, feels like a waste. Yeah, man. They should have been fighting throughout the entire movie. They all should have been fighting their own rogue Jaeger, kind of like a four on four tag team battle where they all got to strut their stuff. Yeah, that well, like I said, underwhelming. Yeah, uh, I thought. Uh, I, I enjoyed the Jaegers. I uh, definitely noticed the Master Chief one there. That was great. Uh, also, the... Uh, Wait, which one are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know which one I'm talking about. But oh. There's one that resembled Master Chief to me. Oh, okay. Um, there was... Uh, you know, where, look, come on, where's the Titanfall day? Well, come on, I, I, where is yeah, it? Where I is it? I was going to say, I didn't want to be the first one. We are 30 minutes into this. Are you proud of me that I, I haven't used the word Titanfall? Just going to remind you for the 100th time, Pacific Rim came out before Titanfall. <laughs> before and the story was just as bad. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so there's a lot of elements that are borrowed from Pacific Rim, as you can see. And uh, if you're a video game fan, I, Titanfall Ti- is one you of my mean favorite shooters. Borrowed from Titanfall. No, you no ju- you I ju- meant the right way. No, 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 no! Stop it! Stop it! Pavlok likes this controversy. You know why I oughta. The original Titanfall was a blast. No story. 
I don't care what you say, Adam Heard. There was no story to it. Uh, you had Titanfall 2, which had a campaign, which was wonderful. It, like, humanized your Titan, which is your Jaeger, essentially, in this movie. And that would be an awesome premise for a story one day, is that if they can evolve the Jaegers where they almost have, like, their own, um, I guess, interface, their own little bit of a symbiotic relationship, I think that would be really cool. With the pilot? Yes. Okay. I would yeah, love that. That'd be interesting. That could be a little bit of a, a way to have a rogue Jaeger also, mm-hmm. like one that malfunctions or, right. or gets hacked, if you will. Like, I always love um, the Call of Duty Black Ops 2 tagline where it says basically, like, the enemy stole the keys. Uh, like, I love that premise. And yeah. I think that that would be fitting for a third movie which we're clearly gonna they're gonna try to do we don't know if we're ever gonna get that confirmation right obviously that's gonna depend on this weekend yeah Uh, we didn't talk about box office numbers because we we really don't have too much to to say but uh, i don't i don't really anticipate this doing terribly well unfortunately well the budget was actually smaller on this one than the original the original was made for 190 million dollars and that was back in 2013 so that was still a little bit before this like renaissance of you know genre action adventure movies took off this was made for 150 million um you gotta remember with the original it only did about i think it was 100 910 million in america which is pretty low for a you know, a blockbuster, but it crushed it overseas. It made, um, I believe, believe a lot uh, sorry. Uh, wow. 111 million in China alone. And then the rest was international too. So it was a, a big box office success outside of America. And I think you'll see, I think you'll see similar. I think this will have a decent weekend here in America. It'll tail off, especially as ready player one releases next week, which it will do very well. Um, and this will do well in like your China, your Japan, um, maybe in Russia, Britain, um, especially with, I, I think they're definitely homing in on the Chinese market. There was quite a bit of subtitled dialogue in this between mm-hmm. Jing Chan's character, um, the marshal. Um, so I think they're definitely going, I think they're definitely hoping to capture that audience once again. And I think they will. I think the movie, the, the overarching problem is that it just doesn't know what it wants to be. Yeah, that's um, a great way to describe it. And uh, unfortunately, that may have an adverse effect. But uh, do you think John Boyega will have any effect on this uh, in terms of box, box office? Like, do you think Star Wars fans are going to go see that, for example? And obviously, that's a large chunk of the pie. I don't know if uh, you're going to see that crossover so much. I, I'm going to say no, um, just because, you know, look, uh, it's not like... John Boyega is not Mark Hamill or Han Solo, uh, Mark Hamill or Harrison uh, Ford. Yeah, Harrison Ford were right. after the original uh, Star Wars movies. You know, he's he's a name, but he's not a household name just yet. He's part of a greater universe. Maybe he will be by the end of the trilogy, but yeah. not yet. I think uh, I think that's pretty common with Star Wars actors and actresses. Yeah, that, you know, once those trilogies complete, then they're uh, kind of hot, ripe for the taking. Uh, but Man, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm very, very interested to see what numbers we're looking at come Monday for this. Me too. Uh, anything else that you want to talk about here before we wrap things up? What we need to do is we need to find a way to clone Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Literally make a second one of him because I really want movies like The Shape of Water and he deserves to win Oscars for that and, and all that junk. But I also want really good Pacific Rim movies like he made with the original 
It's only so, so much time in the day. I know. We need two of him so we can do both of those projects instead of only having to do the one. I think that's fair to say. Um, I, I would I would like better direction than, than the prospective third movie in this trilogy. We'll see what happens. You know, I, I, I hope I, I wish the best for Stephen tonight because he's he was placed in a tough situation. This movie went through developmental hell. Um, obviously a lot of changes between what was most likely the original idea, which you know came from Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Um, he's ha- he's fu- he's got huge huge shoes to fill coming into this, having not really worked with cinema having not really directed that much either. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, it feels like we're, you know, really bearing down on him, but I, I hope the best for him. I hope he gets more opportunities to direct and, you know, maybe he'll grow from this then. Yeah. I, I ditto everything you said there. I, I completely agree with. Uh, so this has been a busy month at the Geekiverse movie wise. We've got one more coming up before the end of the month here with ready player one, one week from uh, yesterday that'll come out Uh, i know that's highly anticipated for a lot of us Uh, we'll have the review out for you uh you can also check out the pacific rim uprising review from jeff pavlock Uh, that'll be up at thegeekiverse.com this weekend so you can kind of get a written analysis on on the more uh, specific thoughts that he has on the ups and downs of the movie and then uh, we'll have a video review up for that as well uh jeff where can we find you online so we can chat some pacific rim and what's going on with you that you want to plug for the Geekiverse? You can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Pavs, uh, on Instagram, Jeff Pavlock. And I am deep into the home stretch for the first novel in my debut uh, trilogy, The Legend yeah, of Light. Yep, it's finally, we're finally getting down the home stretch there. Uh, first novel, The Echoes of Light, will be releasing in May. We are hoping and planning to have physical copies on hand for sale at Nickel City Con here in Buffalo, New York. Oh, man, it's going to be a good weekend. Cannot wait. If you are a fan of The Legend of Zelda, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Avatar Last Airbender, uh, those kind of uh, franchises, I think you will enjoy this story. Would you say some Tolkien influence? Oh, absolutely. Look, if you're writing high fantasy, whether you want to admit it or not, you've got some Tolkien influence in there. That guy is the godfather of the genre. I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time for Jeff and, and for the, the rest of the Geekiverse with that publishing. Um, like I said, lots going on here. Nickel City Con, uh, we are going to be all over that if you are in the Western New York area. And if you're not, make the trip. It's worth it for the weekend. Uh, so, yes. Oh, I got one more. Oh. Well, no, I was going to say, I got one more plug. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Um, you know, hey, uh, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you're a fan of giant monster movies or giant robots in general. Keep an eye out for a feature editorial I have coming up discussing the. Uh, renaissance of the giant monster genre in recent years how it uh, changed itself and how it kind of broke that glass ceiling shedding the stigma of being cheesy campy low budget uh, entertainment with the uh, advent of new special effects and cgi techniques i i That'll, that'll be a hot topic. Because, I, I mean, for the longest time, they were, you know, they were, you know the public viewed them as B-movies, B-grade. You know, guys in rubber suits throwing each other into cardboard buildings. And that's why the genre couldn't go mainstream. Uh, they, w- they wouldn't accept using uh, advanced CGI and other techniques that uh, other genres were building blockbusters with. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's, it's the golden age of geek movies. Yep. That's for sure. I think we're going to look back on this time one day and be like, wow. That was it, you know. This, yeah, this, this I, I hope it lasts very long, though. I hope we. I think you know, so too. I, I think it's here keep to it stay. going. Yeah, I, and hopefully we can be a part of that. Uh, so at Nickel City Con, uh, we've got a we're going to be hosting 
a lot of celebrity panels, and we'll have some other fun things going on, like giveaways, trivia, meet and greets, live podcasts. You know it. However, uh, Jeff and I are co-hosting an awesome panel. Yep. Jeff, who are we talking with? One Stephen Blum. One Stephen Blum. Going to be awesome. Guarantee you know him from something. Go (laughs) Google him right now. He's in probably three or four of your favorite things and you didn't even know it. Yeah. A lot of voiceovers. Cowboy Bebop, Star Wars Rebels. Um, He's been in God knows how many video games between Metal Gear, between God of War. He was Ares, actually, from God of War, which I didn't realize until very recently. Uh, You said a lot of DC stuff, too, right? Yes, he was Lex Luthor in one or two of the anime movies. I believe Flashpoint Paradox. He was Darkseid in Justice League War. I mean, he's really been all over the place. That like that's the thing. Like even if you don't know the if you don't know his name, if you've watched any kind of anime animation or played video games over the last few years, you you've you know heard him at some point in your life. We get a lot of questions for him in that uh, that forty five minute span. Cannot so. wait! I absolutely cannot wait. That's a panel you don't want to miss. Uh, I am hosting one with John Heater, uh, Napoleon Dynamite himself. Uh, I prefer to remember him from Blades of Glory uh, or The Benchwarmers, which are two of my favorite comedies <laughs> from the mid-2000s. So that'll be a good time. Uh, if you like movies, which I assume you do if you're listening to this, I wrote up our review for Tomb Raider, uh, which you can check out right now on our website. I thought it was very well done. Uh, not the best movie I ever saw, but it is one that might help change the stigma on video game movies moving forward. Patreon.com. If you want to support the Geekiverse, uh, that is the best way to do it if you are able to do so. Uh, You can support us for as little as $1 a month. There are varying levels with varying perks. Uh, Each different level will unlock specific attributes. You can see the full list right at Patreon.com slash the Geekiverse. Helps us keep the lights on. Helps us to bring you the content that we love to bring you. So we'd appreciate you taking a look at that. Oh, man. Lots coming up. Like we said, we got Nickel City. We've got E3 right at that. After that, uh, I'm going to be in Los Angeles for that. And we wouldn't have it any other way. No. it's uh, This is the holiday season for us. This coming into April and May and then a little bit into June for E3. So uh, get in the conversation with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also check us out at YouTube.com slash The Geekiverse. We've got a lot going on, and we thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this. This is the third podcast this week, actually. You're right. Uh, so if you like podcasts, uh, you can find those on SoundCloud, iTunes, and at our website. We had a, a Girls Who Geek episode this week. They talked about Jessica Jones. We had Geeks Got Game. Pavlok and I were on that podcast. It's our all-video game podcast, and that came out yesterday. And we talked about a few things Nintendo, including the... It's a new Smash Brothers game. The new... It's a new Smash Brothers game. It's not a port. <laughs> Well, we shall see. Go listen to it for yourself, folks. Uh, For Jeff Pavlock, I'm Josiah Leroy. Again, we thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the near future. Have a wonderful weekend.